good to be with you this morning. I'm going to finish next week's, uh, next week we'll wrap up the series in the, the church, the importance of the local church. I'll be talking about going. Won't that be interesting? We have some door hangers we have printed. I've told you about them. Next week we're going to make them available to you and we're going to have some strategic ideas of where you can go, praying as you go and hanging them on different houses. We'll talk about that. But this week is Father's Day. And I wanted to take a moment and just share some truths about God's Word about Father's Day. Now, I have to tell you, I was in conflict because I really wanted to preach two messages, but I won't do that to you. But I do want to share one, and I'll preach this next time, okay? Maybe next Father's Day I'll preach this. But just turn in your Bible real quick. I just want the dads. Dads, you turn here and just look at this. It's a little challenge, and then we'll get to my other message, but... 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it's around verse 11. Two verses, that's a great challenge for a dad. Listen to what he writes. Oh, how like a father with his children, notice these three principles here, we exhorted each one of you. What does it mean to exhort your child? Dad. Number two, and encouraged you. Hmm. So a father has twofold role to exhort and to encourage. And then the third step is, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Should I have preached that message today? A father's role is to exhort his children. His role is also to encourage them. The most powerful, the most powerful voice God has ever given you as a dad is the voice of encouragement. Son, I am proud of you. Honey, I am proud of you. You know, I could never be a happier father than God giving you as my child. Telling our children that, blessing them, giving them all kinds, bless you, child. I could never be more (laughs) proud as a dad. Of course, he didn't want me to sound like Kermit the Frog either. So, uh, By the way, you know, I, I read a quote this week where a guy said, Before I was a father, I had six theories on raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. That, that's pretty true, isn't it? But anyway, exhorting, uh, encouraging, and then charging our children to live a life worthy of a walk for God. And I think we do that by demonstrating it, don't you? Okay, three points, and if I had a poem, I could close and we could all go home. But you're not getting by that easy. Because the other message, God just put this on my heart, and I wanted to share this with you this morning. And that is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And my title of the message this morning is The Best Gift Ever Given from Our Heavenly Father. And it's found in John chapter 5. So if you will turn there this morning... John chapter 5, and I'll give you the story. You can read it on your own sometime. But Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he was down near the sheep gate. And while he was there, there was this pool, and the pool was called Bethesda. Has anybody ever heard of a hospital called Bethesda? Do you know why it got that name? Well, now you're going to know why. Jesus went down there, and there was a man who was a paralytic. He couldn't walk, he couldn't move, and he had a mat rolled up. And Jesus walked down by this pool 
of this springing water, and this man had been an invalid, the text says, for 38 years. I'm 50, almost 51, 38 years. Can you imagine how long it would be to lay on a mat for 38 years? And one day Jesus walks by and asks the man, would you like to be made whole? Well, what do you think the man said? Absolutely. And Jesus said, rise, take up your mat and walk. Well, the worst crime ever committed was it was done on a Saturday. And that was the Jews' holy day. And they accused the, the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years for violating the law because he reached down and picked up his bed mat and walked off with it. Can you imagine how silly this is? And so they began to accuse this man saying, why did you do that? And he said, I don't know. They said, who healed you? He said, I have no clue. The man asked me if I wanted to be made well. And I said, yes. And he healed me. Well, Jesus was walking around and found him later and went up to him and said, you know, you need to believe, straighten up, and do well. And what did the guy say? He went back and he told them, that man named Jesus is the one who healed me. So now the Pharisees chase Christ and they start to accuse him. And if we pick up in John chapter 5, verse 18... And this is what Jesus answered in verse 17. He said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, the Father wanted that man to be healed, and the Father was doing His work through the Son, so Jesus did the work of the Father. Now, as a result of that, verse 18 happens in John chapter 5. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also even calling God his own father, therefore making himself equal with God. Jesus did not deny that. He's going to actually affirm that not only is he equal with God, that he is God. And the greatest gift the Father could ever give us is the gift of the Son, And listen to what Jesus writes, which is my text this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes it, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Can you all see that on the screen? I want to ask you to do the best thing you could ever do and read that with me this morning, would you? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now stop right there. What is the one requirement to have eternal life? Believe. Notice what Jesus says. Here is the promise after you believe. He does not come into judgment, but has Passed from death to life. Now, Father, we thank you this morning that we can call you our Heavenly Father and for giving us the greatest present that a father could ever give, and that is the gift of eternal life because of the Son, God, very God, who willingly came to this earth and gave his life as a ransom for many that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have, present tense, have everlasting life, and reminding us that we shall not come into judgment, 
but we have crossed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. Thank you for that free gift that we have in the person of Christ. May it encourage us to serve you and live for you and to tell others about you as you want us to do this morning. Now bless us with your word and encourage us as we are fathers and we want to be an encouragement to those who are around us with this greatest message that you could ever give us, that eternal life is the free gift in Jesus Christ our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. In this passage, Jesus makes three claims of his relationship to the Father. And I want to share them with you quickly and then give you three life lessons, okay? First of all, he says that he is one with the Father in his actions. In other words, you know how it's like when you're a dad and you start walking and your child starts walking with you and you do something and your child starts doing it and you see these actions. Well, that's kind of the way Jesus is relating here, but it's a more intimate He knows exactly what the Father's mind and the Father's will is. And the Father, therefore, exerts that, and Jesus carries it out in life. Notice what the text says in John chapter 5. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Now stop for a minute, because any Old Testament Jew who read that would say, What? No man has ever seen God and lived. What did Jesus just claim? He claims that he saw the Father. And exactly what the Father told him to do, he did. Notice what he goes on to write. For whatsoever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now could you ever make a claim like that? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So Jesus here claims that he is one with the Father, and when the Father works, Christ works. That's a pretty powerful claim, by the way. The second claim he makes is that he has authority to give life. Now watch closely. Back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, God said, I am the one who has the power to take up life and take it away. Jesus made that very same claim as he writes, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. God the Father gives life. What does Jesus claim about himself? That just like the Father, he is is able to give life just like the Father. I think that's, this is called God. Don't you? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now we know that Jesus did this while he was on earth because he raised one man from the dead who had been there for how many days? And his name was Lazarus. Lazarus come forth and what happened? He gave him life. But Jesus here is talking about not physical life, not just physical, but he's talking about what he said right in the verse above it. He is able to give you everlasting life. Not only is he able to raise the dead, yeah, that's wonderful. 
But He's able to save your soul through eternity. That's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. The same thing you can say about God the Father is the exact same thing you can say about God the Son, except the Son is not the Father. Did you hear me? You know, I'll I'll give you a little funny here. When I was in my doctoral dissertation phase, right before that, they get you into a phase where they talk about your oral comps. So you've went through all this classwork, you've written this, uh, all these exams, and now you're at standing before all these professors, and they get a chance to grill you to see whether you're worthy to go to your dissertation phase. That's how doctoral, uh, ministerial type degrees happen. So all these men were here and they started asking me all these questions and one of them said, explain the Trinity. Now as you know, one man said, you know, to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul. To explain the Trinity is to lose your mind. (laughs) Pretty good. My explanation was this, everything that you can say about the Father, you can also say about the Son except He's not the Father. And everything you say about the Son, you can say about the Spirit, except He's not the Spirit. And I went back and forth through the Trinity and danced around it, and then I finished by saying that if anyone has anything else that you would like to add to it, I would be gracious and a good learner. I'm willing to listen. And one of them smiled and said, You passed that one. (laughs) Now, folks, this is why we have such a problem with people who believe less of Jesus. Either that he was a created being, Jehovah's Witness and Mormon, a a little God or something less than the Father. I mean, you know, this is why we have a real problem with that. Because that is not the God of the Bible. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's the wrong Jesus. And here, Jesus claims that as the Father has life, He gave it to the Son, and the Son has life. And He gives it to whoever He wills. A third claim Jesus makes here is that he has authority to judge. Now listen carefully. If I gave you a true and false this morning, this was the question that at at the future judgments, God the Father will judge men. How would you answer that, true or false? Yeah, just say false. Now why is that true? God the Father will not judge people. Notice what Jesus writes or says and John records. For the Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son. The Jesus that this world mocks today will be the one who judges them. The L.A. Dodgers invited the, whatever the name of that group is, and I won't even repeat it, And if you don't know anything about it, good for you. But this group went out and acted like they had a Jesus hanging on a cross. And the one man went around the cross and did all kinds of very, very obscene things. One of the L.A. Dodgers players got online and wrote about it and said, I am ashamed of this organization for inviting those people here. And I want you to know they made fun of my Savior. And I'm not ashamed. Well, he was canceled, as you can imagine and castigated, and so forth. But this is what I was thinking the whole time all this was going on. 
Not only was I thinking, you know, I hope the Braves beat them to death eventually, but I was also thinking one day the Jesus that they mock, they will give an account to. Now, can you imagine what that's going to be like? Not very fun. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And he goes on and writes, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And by the way, if you trace that phrase, Son of Man, back, where will you find it? Back in the book of Ezekiel, where the judgment of God and the wrath of God is taken out upon mankind. That's Jesus, by the way. The great white throne judgment where John, the same writer of this gospel, said, I saw both small and dead stand before the throne and the books were open and they were judged. Who is the judge at that great white throne judgment? It's Jesus. And then Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who were in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You say, well, wait a minute. Done those who do good and those who do evil, that sounds like works. That doesn't sound like belief and grace. How do you answer that question, by the way? Well, you go to Trinity, don't you? So you'd, you'd turn over in one chapter, right? Thank you, Pastor. And you'd go to chapter 6 and you'd look in verse 28. And Jesus is going to answer this very question about what do you mean about doing good and, and doing bad? Well, look down in your text, because I didn't put it on the screen. These Jews came to him and they said, What must we do to work the works of God? What do we have to do? And what did Jesus say? He answered them, This is the work of God that you what? Are y'all reading this in your Bible or are you just listening to me? Don't, don't believe me. Look down at the text. This is the work of God. You want to know how to do the work of God? Here's how you do it. Believe on Him who He has sent. So in the same context, when you go back here and you ask this question, those who have done good, what did they do? Can you all answer? They believed. And those who have done bad or evil, what did they do? Thank you. They did not believe. They did not believe. And as a result of that, what will be the result? It will be judgment. Very interesting. By the way, the Bible does answer itself. Notice what he says. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Everything that the Father wanted done, the Son did. That's why when He went to the cross the night before He was crucified, He said, my work is finished. On the cross, it is finished. I have come to fulfill my Father's will. He did everything God required Him to do. What a Savior. And died in our place to give us eternal life and all we have to do is believe on Him. And that's a gracious gift. Now, how do you know this is true? By the way, the Jews did not like that, so they decided to challenge Jesus. 
And so what does he say in, re in return? How do you prove that Jesus is the one who God said he was? Well, he gives a fourfold witness here. Four, a fourfold witness that he is exactly who he said he was. And here they are. You ready? John the Baptist testified that he is who he said he was. The works that he did from the Father testify that he is the Messiah. The Father himself shared his own voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Scriptures indicate that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. So let's look at this very quick. I'm going to look, go down through this fast. Okay, Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is deemed tr not true, not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me. By the way, what does he mean when he says, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true? Does Jesus mean he's a liar? No. What did you say, Myra? Okay, in Jewish culture, there had to be at least two or three witnesses to verify someone's story. So Jesus is here saying, you know, in this Jewish custom, if I stand up and say something and there's not at least one or two others to verify it, then you don't have to believe me. But now notice what he does. I'm not just going to give you one or two. I'm going to give you four. And these four that I'm going to give you are just going to keep increasing. So if you deny me, you're denying John the Baptist. You're denying the miracles that you've seen. You're denying the voice of God himself. And you're denying the five books of the Old Testament that you trust in. Hmm. It's pretty powerful stuff. Verse 32 there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He wanted them to be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works, here's number two, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. By the way, who else could walk into a man who had been laying lame and paralyzed for 38 years and say, rise up and walk? And the man, no physical therapy, rises and walks. The blind man who had been blind since birth and Jesus walks and tells him to open his eyes and see and the man can see. I mean, you just don't make this stuff up, folks. The works that I do bear witness about me. I mean, in other words, who else is doing this? Verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. By the way, three times in the New Testament, God the Father affirms Christ. I'll let you find those. Audibly. He affirms him. This is my son. Speaking. And then finally, the scriptures. I want to read this one. Look, look down in verse 39. Now you can imagine these Jewish believers who were constantly 
By the way, Jewish boys, it, it was said that by the time they turned 12, had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We can't even hardly stand it to get our devotions through there, can we? I'm going to preach through that book one time. It's the most interesting book in the Old Testament. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those first five books. They believed. They read that. And they thought that in those five books that God is the, it's the purest form of God. And Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Just because you know it. And it is they that bear witness about me. Now, what does that mean? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, bear witness about Jesus. Do you all know where Jesus is in those books? Well, can I help you? God was walking in the garden. Now, I have news for you. God the Father doesn't walk in a garden. Uh, we could go, I need to do that sometime. Because some of y'all are looking at me going, I don't know that I believe you. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said. Before Abraham was, I am. Can you imagine having a theology course from Jesus on the first five books of the Bible? You know, by the way, the angel of the Lord who led the children of Israel out through the Red Sea at the burning bush, by the way, when Moses was there. You ought to read that passage really close in Exodus chapter 3 because the bush, someone's talking out of the bush and then someone's talking out of the, the heaven. There's the, the God in the bush and the God, the angel God, and they're talking back and forth. That's an interesting little passage. A Jew wrote a book on that. He, he doesn't believe in the Trinity, but he wrote a book on that. And he, he entitled it, The Three Powers in Heaven. Very scholarly book, The Three Powers. He wasn't willing to say, you know, the three, the, the one God in three persons. But he knew there was something, something going on in that passage about the burning bush. You search the Scriptures and you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Notice what he says in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is how stubborn humanity is, by the way. We are stubborn. You refuse to come to me. Here is all the evidence in the world that you would ever want, and yet you still refuse to believe. So by the way, folks, here's a good lesson you are never going to argue someone into eternal life. You can't do it. It doesn't matter how much evidence you pour out on them. It takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God to open their heart. And they have to believe. Notice what else he says. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. That's something interesting to study. You do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on who you have set your hope. Could you imagine? Notice what he says. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? Wow. This is the most powerful chapter in the Bible on the, on the deity of Jesus Christ. Powerful. Equal with the Father. Well, what are three life lessons that we can learn from this on this beautiful, lovely Father's Day? Lesson number one, we learn this. Eternal life is a free gift given to those who believe on Jesus. The one requirement that we have to do is believe on Him. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. He also wrote 1 Corinthians where he explains what the gospel is. This is the gospel. That Christ died according to the Scriptures, He was buried according to the Scriptures, and He was raised according to the Scriptures. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? This verse that you memorized in Awana, your parents may have taught you. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Can some of y'all quote it? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Can y'all quote that? Okay, I still hear some of you mumbling it. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He didn't say to everyone who gets down on your knees and crawls through three miles of glass, who wallows around, who confesses 10,000 10, sins. It's not what he said. He said to everyone who believes, the one requirement of God for eternal life is belief in Jesus. And the same Apostle Paul who wrote the gospel, here is the gospel, the one requirement he says for eternal life is belief. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And that's what we have to do. We have to believe. And if we believe, we have everlasting life. Which leads to my second lesson. Jesus will either take your sin on Himself or He will judge us for our sin. You know, any reasoning, rational person who really thinks about this would, would gladly give Christ the full penalty for our sin. Jesus, you don't deserve my sin, but you are God and you're willing to take it and I'm willing to give it all to you. And I want to thank you for taking it. And you're dying on the cross for my sin and you're willing to give me eternal life in exchange. Uh, I'm not an investor, folks. I'm not a tradesman. I'll take that trade. I'll take that trade. And to have Jesus represent me before God the Father instead of myself in my sin, yeah, I'll take that one any day. Because the opposite of that is exactly what he told the Pharisees. You know, I'm either going to give you eternal life or one day you're going to answer to me in judgment. I'll take the eternal life. The third lesson that this passage teaches us, and this is fascinating, when you believe on Jesus, boom! 
Immediately, Jesus says, you pass from death unto life. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes on me, believes my word and believes on him who sent me, has everlasting life and has passed from death unto life immediately. That quick. The moment you believe, boom, it's done. Salvation is not a process. It is an action. When a person puts faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are quickened, they are regenerated, they are made alive in the Spirit, they are born again, whatever term you want to use, they're all biblical. And you have living inside of you eternal life because Jesus Himself is alive in us. What a wonderful message. And this is the message of the gospel. We're all messed up down here. We're all broken. We're all tattered into pieces. I mean, you know, if you're a dad and you're like me, you think, you know, start raising your child, you start quaking. Oh my goodness, my child has to look at me and my brokenness. And I'm, I am the one who's going to have to raise this child. You, you know, you look in the mirror. Y'all remember when you had your first baby? You held that little baby in your hand. You're so happy and then you're scared to death. You're like, that's my responsibility right there. Oh my goodness. How am I going to do that? It's terrifying. God's given us that life. He's entrusted that to us. And we know we're not perfect. Dads know that. And they know they're going to sin. They know they're going to stumble. But they know they have to get back up. But one thing that we as Christian dads know is we know that, you know what, if we mess up, we're man enough to tell our kids, I, I blew that one. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, you know, whatever. And I'm not perfect. And, you know, your kid will always go, Amen, we know you're not dead. And then they'll remind you about a dozen more times when you messed up. And best thing you can do as a dad, just go, oh, yeah, you're right. But you know what? We have a perfect Savior who gives us His perfect righteousness so that we can stand before a perfect God and have zero fault. You know, we have fault before our children. We have fault before our parents. We have fault before our wives. But we have no fault before God. Because of the person of Christ. And dad, listen to me. You grab on to that truth and you hang on to it. And when you mess up, you cling to the one who makes you perfect. And the only one who can do that, who can give eternal life to you is Jesus. You have to believe on him. And if you'll do that, if you'll believe on Jesus as your savior, then you possess the greatest gift you can ever give your children. And that is not just to know Him, but also the privilege to spend all of eternity with Him. Don't you want that? Tell you a quick story. There was a dad who came to talk to me one time. He was so concerned about his children. I want them to do this. I want to give them this. I want them to have this. I want them to have that. I started talking to him and realized he wasn't even saved. He had never believed on Jesus for eternal life. He... He was trying to do all the things that dad did, you know, provide this for him, provide that, keep him safe here and keep him there. I began to talk to this man. I said, you know what? It's wonderful that you're wanting to give them all that. 
But it's all going to end in this life. And when you die, you're never going to see your children again. Never! And I shared the gospel with him. I don't remember if he believed or not. I don't think he did. I think he just listened to me and it thanked me for sharing that with him and walked out. I, I pray the man came, became a believer. I wish I could tell you a glamour story. But you know, that's the reality. You can give your child everything there is here on earth, but if we don't have eternal life living in us because we believed on Jesus as our Savior, what good have we done? So make sure you know Him who is really to know life. If you do that, you have had a good Father's Day. And not only that, you've also received the best gift that the Heavenly Father could ever give you. And that's the gift of Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, thank you so much for the gift of eternal life. In the person of Jesus Christ, God, very God, who came in flesh to represent you and to save us from our sin. And thank you that the work that we must do to have eternal life is to believe. That is our work. And this morning I pray that you would grant us the grace to believe in you. And anyone here who has not believed or trusted in Jesus, place faith in him for eternal life, I pray that they would do that this morning. And that they would receive the gift that lasts forever. It starts now and never has an end. Thank you for the gift of righteousness in Him and this wonderful free gift given by you by grace and it is through faith. Thank you for it. Thank you for all of our dads here this morning. Father, I pray for each one of them as I stand in their shoes. Sometimes we fail as fathers probably more, than, more often than not. But thank you that we have you to rely on as our Heavenly Father who never fails. And that gives us courage to get back up and try it again. So I pray for each dad here that you'll just infuse within them the knowledge of the gift of life. Pray that they know you as Savior. And then I pray that they would have this desire to love their children like you love us. And help them to see you in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.